All right, welcome to Political Zek, a podcast where we discuss Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler on this hey, Pioneer Day edition. How you doing, Todd? Good. I'm out in my backyard. The weather's nice. It looks really nice. All right, let's jump to it. So, so Robert Gerke had a column in uh, the Tribune that got a lot of play. He says, it's time to ditch the Utah's convention system, is the title. This party conventions are a fundamentally flawed way to nominate candidates. Simply, and I've said this before, conventions are warped system that clearly favors the fringes at the expense of true representation. The delegate pool is more conservative, historically predominantly male, and time and again favors candidates outside the party's mainstream. Ultimately, it puts too much power in the hands of too few zealots. The risk is that those should those people get into office, the views of the majority of the constituents in that district will not be reflected. And the entire point of our represent, representative democracy will be lost. He goes on to list several incumbents who lost the convention, uh, some of whom were actually even um, would have been eliminated at the convention, but who went on to win the primary uh, either because they just snuck through the convention or because they collected signatures to get on the primary ballot. And this is a big windup that he has for essentially like, let's get rid of it, get rid of the convention system, or at the very least, let's lower the th- signature threshold so candidates can get on the ballot much easier because statewide candidates are spending quarter of a million dollars collecting signatures right now and he thinks that that's too much Uh, and that is a lot but so my own thought is i should say the last thing in the world that you know i or any of us should be worried about is what a committed progressive ideologue like robert gerke thinks about anything but once again (laughs) you know i lament the fact that the utah media Led by the Trib are miles outside the mainstream of Utah, but that's neither here nor there. Okay, but to the question. Utah absolutely should not ditch the convention system. The convention system really is the closest practical form of direct democracy that we have available to us. And we're talking about neighbors picking representatives from among themselves, neighbors picking neighbors uh, at a caucus meeting to represent them at the convention. I've been doing politics and policy my entire career, and there's nothing at all like the face-to-face contact entire kicking that you see among the delegates it really is the coolest thing i think they take their charge very seriously i saw you know just this last time for example the same delegates over and over again during the course of the season at cottage meetings people's houses at the junior high school at the debates at every every event i mean people are taking it dead seriously they're trying to learn about the candidates i personally Don't believe that these are all the same ideologues who are coming every time. No, we know they're not. Two-thirds of them were brand new. I think it's awesome. I think it's people taking democracy seriously. Now, the principal critique, and I know you're going to go this direction, is uh, from Gerke and others, and certainly the count my vote contingent, is that the delegates are not representative of Utah Republican electorate because they're fringe conservatives. Well, I would agree that the delegates often select more conservative candidates, but that is, I mean, it's circular to say that they're not picking the best candidate. I mean, the, the assumption is that the made by the convention opponents is that the primary voters are uh, more right about the selection. And I don't, I don't think there's any reason to think that that's true either. I mean, uh, there's a million reasons why incumbents usually win and why the people, the, and, and it starts really with name ID and money. I mean, the, the candidate with the most money usually wins. And uh, the, the incumbent almost always has more money than than any challenger. I mean, I understand the, the argument that 
it can be the count my vote folks would say it's being hijacked by by the far right or something i think there's got there's probably some middle ground where you do have this kind of direct democracy that is so cool and so fun and so much about people who really care about the process trying to learn while at the same time like capturing more primary voters who let's be honest like primary voters are not spending anywhere near as much time or effort trying to learn the candidates i mean almost all the time when it, I mean, study after study shows that essentially people with the name ID, uh, they're the ones who end up winning unless it's negative and name ID. But and, and how do you build that? Well, you know, it's being incumbent is spending money for TV ads, for radio ads. And you have to have money to do that. And I really wonder, had those candidates that won a convention, had they had any kind anywhere near the kind of money that uh, that the winners had, whether it would have been much more competitive? I think the answer is yes. But Todd. Kick it to you. What do you think? Should we get rid of the convention system? Well, I don't think we should get rid of it. Um, I have been through the convention system as a legislative candidate, um, you know, four or five times because I, I went through in 2000 when I was nominated for the House, but I lost my primary by a couple, you know, 100 votes, less than 200 votes. Um, I've also been through the convention center um, system. Um, as a uh, county and state elected uh, leader in the party and as a, as a member of the state central committee. And so I've, you know, I've never been eliminated by the delegates yet, knock on wood. Um, but, you know, I, so I don't, I don't agree with Gerke's, uh conclusions, but it's hard to argue with the facts that he's stating. And just, you know, just to put a point on it, uh, Ray Ward, who is, you know, overlaps my Senate district, uh, he lost a convention and would have been eliminated, but for signatures. He won the primary in Bountiful by 19%. Um, Melissa Ballard, who is my state representative, she would have been eliminated at convention four years ago, her first race. She came back with signatures and won the primary. And this last go round, the convention this year, she would have gotten through without her signatures, but she was at like 41%. And yet she won her primary by 26%. And, you know, you take on top of that, Gary Herbert and Mitt Romney and so many, so many others. Um, it's hard to say that the, the delegates are, or yeah, the delegates are, you know, always representative of their district. I think they're more representative of their districts sometimes in um, like Utah County. Now, you know, I'm going to, push back a little bit on your um, your uh, assertion. I mean, let's look at David Levitt's race. He had the name ID. He had the money. I think he outspent his opponent almost 10 to one and, and he lost, you know, he only got a third of the vote. So it's not always the money. It's not always the name ID. And of course that Utah County attorney's race, I will admit was very, very, very unusual. Um, Becky Edwards had pretty good name ID. She didn't come close to beating Mike Lee, but she did beat Allie Isom. Um, and uh, I mean, Becky Edwards is the daughter-in-law of Lavelle Edwards. She served in the state house for 10 years. Um, you know, she raised, uh, I think, you know, with her own donations, about a million and a half dollars. And so I, I do think name ID, but sometimes people have name ID for a reason. And that is because they're well-liked or they're, you know, uh, you know, they, they've been in office and, 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 you know, so I think there's arguments both ways, but um, the, the problem, I mean, the convention, the delegate convention system has its strengths and it clearly has its weaknesses. And what we saw this year 
was a number of fringe candidates got through the convention system and almost what I call fringe, um, almost all of them um, lost. The one exception I would uh, make is Trevor Lee in Davis County. And the only reason I think he may be elected to the legislature in November is because Steve Handy, the incumbent there, did not collect signatures. And I'm still scratching my head and wondering why. But, um, but you know, in any event, um, there's no perfect system. But we're kind of in this Cold War scenario right now where Count My Vote would like to do away with the convention uh, delegate system. Uh, that you know, some some people on the right would like to do away with the signature, but but neither side has enough support um, to you know to eliminate the other side. And I and I, you know, a lot of people don't like it, but I'm going to say it because it's true. The public has kind of embraced this where they like the dual path. And if you uh, poll after poll shows that the public doesn't want to do away with either one of them. Yeah, I'm, so I, I think you make some good points that it would be. I think unfortunate to lose the value that we have uh, from the convention. And I think the absurdity runs in two directions. You, you, I think you kind of laid out maybe odd that you, you could say absurd situation where someone easily wins convention and then gets completely destroyed in the primary, but the opposite kind of happens too. I mean, there's plenty of examples that I won't name, but people who, who had, were not competitive at all in the convention system. And then, uh, and then, but because they got six signatures, were able to get on the ballot and of course well, john curtis john curtis i think got less than nine percent at his first convention when jason chaffetz resigned but now he's you know not you know now he's a three-term congressman or will be in january so so i guess all i'm saying i'll, I'll close by this at least my thoughts on this by just by saying that i think this uh citizen uh, active democracy is super cool and something that really is a treasure that uh, that I, I don't think that we want to get rid of because uh, when we're talking about made the primaries and even the general election, we're really talking about uh, TV ads, radio ads. We're talking about you can't be just a guy or a woman in the neighborhood who wants to make a difference because there's no way you're going to be able to raise $700,000 to be able to compete. But at the convention, you're doing face-to-face -face contact. It's, it's hand-to-hand combat you don't need very much money. In fact, most of them don't raise squat, <laughs> which is a problem in and of itself, I guess, but, but it gives everyone a chance. And it, uh, I don't know, we're going to lose something if, uh, if we don't um, keep it. Well, and let me just add two things I forgot to mention. First of all, we have a huge change coming in 2024. And that is the filing deadline. If you want to run for office starting in January of 2024, the filing deadline will be the first week of January. So an incumbent like me, I am up for re-election in 2024. I'm going to know in January if someone files against me and who files against me. And then, and only then, will I make the decision, do I need to collect signatures? Right now, we're having people pay a lot of money to collect signatures. And then in March, nobody files against them. And so that's great for the signature companies, not, not great for <laughs> anybody else. The second yeah. thing I want to say is you said that it's not just the same delegates year after year. And yeah, traditionally the state delegates are about 60% new every two years, but the other 30 to 40% are the same people over and over again. And I say that Corey, because I am one of them. I have been a state or county delegate or both in every single election cycle in the last 24 years. Um, so, 
You can't tell me that that doesn't happen because I'm one of them. And I know um, chronic delegates like myself all over the state because they're at every single convention. Yeah, I know. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, that's the last word. Let's hit the next thing, jumping from uh, out of the frying pan into the fire. So Commissioner Bill Lee in, uh, in our own, my very own Utah County is questioning the election. We've got House District 72 candidate Willie Billings contesting the election, says he wants a hand recount. Todd, is this where we're at now? Anyone who loses a campaign is going to claim the election was fraudulent and stolen? I, yeah, this is where we're at right now. And it's only really far-right candidates who are doing this. I mean, D- Derek Kitchen just lost by 61 votes for his incumbent Senate seat. He's not asking for a recount. Of course, he's a Democrat and a liberal Democrat at that. Yeah, I think this is, I hope, I hope that this is a phase we're going to get past because, listen, 28 of the 29 county recorders in this state are Republicans. The elections office is headed by Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, who is a conservative Republican. Um, if you're a Republican and you think all of the, you know, all of the other Republicans are, you know, uh, putting their th- thumbs on the scale to make sure that, you know, Republicans aren't winning, that it's, it's just kind of ludicrous. Now, do I think that our election process is absolutely perfect? No, I don't. I think that there's probably you know, inconsistencies. The biggest problem we've had in the last decade since we've started vote by mail is moms trying to vote for their missionaries who are out in the field. And that is illegal. It's rarely prosecuted, but it is illegal. That's the biggest problem we've had. Um, But uh, do some people vote illegally? Yes. Uh, Is it high numbers? No. Is it enough to change the outcome? Usually not. Now, and Willie Billings only lost by what, 10 votes? So you know, he's gotten his recount and he lost the recount. In fact, I think he dropped one vote in the recount. And so, you know, th- there's they ought to teach classes to candidates about losing gracefully. It's hard to lose. I've lost races before, but this is not the way to do it, to go out and say. And, you know, the, the information that Bill Lee's asking for is what, you know, um, a, a bunch of conspiracy election conspiracy theorists. Uh, they want that data to, uh, you know, to, to do nefarious things, in my opinion. So. Yeah. So I, I certainly understand the concern after the past couple of years with the election integrity. So I'm not going to dismiss it, but it does, it is starting to feel a little bit like we've given every losing candidate a license to be a sore loser. And, and I, I agree with you, you know, it's no fun to lose, but you know, our kids are watching and we need to show them what it looks like to lose gracefully. Yeah. Now and again, there are questions. Yes. But I think we're at a point where it's almost becoming standard practice to claim voter fraud after every election. And I, I just don't believe that it's happening. And I, I'm going to I'm going to do something I've never done before, but I'm going to praise Al Gore when, you know, the Bush <laughs> Gore, when it went to the Supreme Court 22 years ago, that was a mess. And he did the right thing. He he stepped aside. Um, you know, th- there were good arguments on both sides of that. Personally, I think that George W. Bush had won Florida. And I think the Democrats were trying to stop, you know, uh, Republican votes from being counted. But Al Gore could have really divided the country like, quite frankly, Donald Trump did or tried to do two years ago or last year. Um, and I, you know, uh, he kind of, I mean, yes, he sued all the way to the Supreme Court. But once we got the final decision from the Supreme Court, he gracefully stepped away. And I think we, meet, we need more politicians who, who will do that. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, President Trump as well, I mean, we, 
we, we can talk about uh, some of the questions about the election, but at some point we have to say like, okay, let's move on. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think that in 2024, I hope the conversation is not about this argument over 2020, but over what can we do to fix the country moving forward? That's what I want to see. Okay, let's talk a little federal. All four of Utah's representatives in, the, in Congress voted in favor of the federal same-sex marriage protection. And I'm going to ask you if you think that they got it right. But first, I'm going to tell you that I think they did. I think we're in a much different place now than we were even 10 years ago. We now have marriages, excuse me, and families and children who've relied on, on the right to have these relationships. And I think the ship has sailed and we need to respect these relationships. I do. And I personally believe that two-parent households are preferable for raising children when possible. And I think it makes sense to encourage family formation. I felt that way for a long time. And this, uh, I think this situation, the reason we, they had a vote in Congress, it really arose out of Justice Thomas's dissent, where he implied that all substantive due process decisions merit a reevaluation. And, and one of those, of course, was abortion, but he was also talking about the uh, same-sex marriage decision, Ober, Obergefell. And we could debate the merits of, of his argument. And we talked a little bit about it last time. But I think the really the important thing, though, is that the Supreme Court does not have the votes to follow that path. They're not going to strike down Obergefell. They're not going to strike down your ability to, uh, m- you know, marry different races and that kind of thing. It really is fear-mongering and, abs- and absurdity. But, you know, that said, I think codifying it into law will negate that worry. And I do think that people have relied on that decision. And I think the families are formed and I think that we should encourage it. I really do. And I'll say my last thought is, all right, I, I, it doesn't seem to me that our, that our four representatives have taken any heat on this issue, which I think for a lot of people was a surprise. We don't know yet how Romney and, and, uh, and Lee are going to vote. So that probably will happen this week or next week, the latest. But it is interesting that we're in a different, much different place where 10 years ago, that would have been a really radioactive vote. And here it was a yeah. little bit of a shoulder shrug. What do you think? Well, on, a, on a purely intellectual basis, I believe that marriage should be decided by the state governments and uh, respectively and not by the federal government. With that said, um, I, I'm with you. I agree with the vote. I, I think it was a largely symbolic vote because I don't think the Senate is going to pass this. But I think, you know, I was pointing to it. I, I work at my law firm with a couple of very liberal people who were talking about maybe moving to Canada because of uh, Clarence Thomas's decision. So he has really set off kind of a nuclear bomb among, you know, uh, certain segments of our society. And that's not healthy either. And I, I, so I, you know, I think that, you know, as a Republican, if, and I don't think this will happen, but if the Supreme Court did kick same-sex marriage and interracial marriages back to the state, I would not vote to undo you know, the marriages that have been formed. I don't think I would vote to undo future ones because I think that toothpaste is out of the tube. I had a, a, a gay acquaintance contact me very recently and said, you know, my husband and I um, are going through the steps to adopt. Should we stop? You know, what do you think is going to happen? I said, no, do your adoption. But there are a lot of gay people who are married, who have adopted kids. And I don't think you're ever going to put that toothpaste back in the tube. So I commend, I'm sure that was a hard vote for Chris Stewart and 
probably for Burgess Owens, more harder for them than I think for Blakemore or John Curtis. But I do think that was the right vote, even though it was largely symbolic. And even though I think it belongs with the state, I think that was the right vote. Well, and it did really stand out that the Utah delegation stood together on that, as well as it's worth noting, Mike Simpson, who's Idaho representative, he, who's also Mormon. There's not too many Mormons in, in Congress, but they uh, they all voted in the same direction this time. So not as many as there used to be. So yeah, there used to be there used to be quite a few more, but kind of hit a, had a lot of returns. High watermark, yeah. All right, let's let's close it up with a couple more polls, and these were pretty divergent. You had a Deseret News poll of registered voters. Now. We're all understand now what the difference between registered voters and likely voters. Registered voters means all Utah voters, whether they're going to vote or not, regardless of party, all that sort of thing. According to the Deseret News poll, 41% would support Mike Lee, 36% would support McMullen, only 8% are in the don't know. So you have a 41-36, only a five-point lead among registered voters. Then you had a second poll from this uh, Center Street pack, which is really a, a pro McMullen, you know, it's basically like a never Trump pack. And their poll was among likely voters. Now they have their own, their own techniques for determining who's a likely voter and not. But the bottom line is these are people who are much more likely to actually pull the, le- to, to get up and uh, pull the lever. And their poll shows 50% support for Mike Lee. 36% support for McMullen and 15 undecided. So that's a 14 point difference versus a five point difference. Which one of these do you think is more accurate, Todd? I think it's probably closer to 15 points. I think Evan McMullen is going to make this really interesting. Um, I think that that five point poll will again, help him with his fundraising efforts. Um, Ironically, I well, well, not ironically, but uh, coincidentally, I was at a barbecue yesterday and ran into a guy who told me uh, he grew up in Seattle with Evan McMullen and they were close friends. And what a great guy he is. And, and he also told me he would not vote for Evan McMullen for Senate. <laughs> uh, I won't use any names, but, um, uh, you know, so in any event, you know, I want to we criticize Evan McMullen a lot because he's a grifter and a snake oil salesman. But, you know, th- this guy was emphasizing that, you know, that, you know, Evan McMullen, you know, served our country. He was over in the Middle East. He worked for the CIA. Um, I think he does have a pretty, and then he worked in Washington like you did, but I think he does have a pretty impressive background. I didn't realize his, um, his, his new wife um, uh, is a, was widowed before Evan married her and she kind of came with kids. And so he's kind of got an instant family. And so I, I believe Evan McMullen's, you know, probably a good person. He'd probably be a good neighbor and all that stuff, but I won't vote for him again. I did vote for him in 2016 because I, I had my reservations about Trump um, and quite frankly still do, but I wouldn't vote for Evan McMullen again. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think 4136 is not how this is going to end up. And I think that, that this poll is going to look kind of ridiculous when, when we get the final score and, uh, and, I don't like polls like this because they're ultimately going to be probably so discredited. <laughs> and, uh, and then it's like, why do we even have polls in the first place? But the only poll that uh, matters is the one this November. So, yeah, that's right. So the last thing I'm going to say about McMullen is uh, yeah, he did have that new, he has that new ad that 
that really is a focus on his his time with the CIA. And I think, you know, it was an interesting choice. Uh, it, it certainly, I mean, I'm glad he served the country and, and I'm glad we have smart, you know, capable people in the, in the CIA and so forth. But um, I'm not sure that touting the fact that you work for the CIA is like, you know, as valuable as it used to be. And, yeah, and, I agree with you there. <laughs> but uh, that's it. That's all the time we have. We're already over. Time. Happy <laughs> Pioneer <God>. Day. <laughs> Happy Pioneer Day.